0: This is Grand The Arch, oral histories of the St. Louis music scene. I'm Caleb True, and with me is Jim Fitzpatrick, and together, through interviews and in-depth discussion, we explore St. Louis music. On today's show, we have Ben Smith of the legendary angular rock band Corbeta Corbata. Corbeta Corbata was a beloved and versatile group, a fixture of the St. Louis scene for over a decade. Here's Ben.
1: I went to Lindbergh High School um, and I was in middle school band and my friend down the street For me, I mean, this was like fifth grade. I started playing clarinet because they wouldn't let you play saxophone in fifth grade. Here's one thing I want to talk about St. Louis and high schools and all this shit. (laughs) Limburg fucking rules because there's a whole bunch of just regular kids. It's not a rich kid's school district, but the fucking arts program there is out of hand good. Nice. Um, And so at fifth grade, I got to start playing clarinet because they wouldn't let me have a saxophone. And around that time, I don't know what, but I got the Nirvana Nevermind tape in, like, fifth or sixth grade, or maybe that summer. Mm -hmm. And that did me fucking great. And then, (laughs) um, and that was like, like, Kurt Cobain died when I was in eighth grade. So I had, like, two white-hot years just being completely ensconced in that shit. That was how... I found bands like the feeders and shit was because like things Kurt Cobain was into mm-hmm. there's uh, I don't know if you get this is like a dumbass like the mixtape of heck or something like' hmm. it's some somebody's uh, like you know the great archivists of the fucking world have unearthed a bunch <laughs> of his high school shit mm-hmm. and it's just like insanely fucking like like great music mixes but anyway, Things that like, like anything that guy was into was I would clamor to. Mm -hmm. And so in middle school, like in sixth grade, my parents got divorced and my dad moved to Crestwood. And uh, I just got to spend every other weekend um, walking everywhere. And in Crestwood, where the Guitar Center is now, Mm -hmm. that used to be a thing called Blockbuster Music that was a short-lived uh, fucking ambitious thing from the people at Blockbuster where <laughs> it was a music store and you could go in and pick up any CD and uh, sit down and listen to all of it and you could walk up with like five or six and listen to all of them before the internet actually yeah. like before I think before like Napster and all that <laughs> um, totally. but I got to just go and listen to records and I had nothing else to do and so this fucking wonderful place existed uh and i could just go and like um i remember i don't think this must have been when i was like just before getting into high school but like the beastie boys put out the some old bullshit cd that had a whole bunch of um um their original punk songs and and then a bunch of fucking flyers and then i fell overboard with like god like I feel like within the course of about a week or two, a friend of mine was really into Rollins Band and he got me into Rollins Band. And then I picked up the wrong Black Flag CD at, <laughs> at Blockbuster Music. And like I uh, like the the first four years one, which is the compilation of their EPs, and I go over and I open it up and they let you look through the book and all that shit, i just listening to it. And I was like, this doesn't sound like that guy, but whatever, it's cool. And then it's just got all the fucking flyers and every flyer is just, Bands on bands that end up being in insane bands. Yeah. And I just yeah. then am going through and picking out CDs of these bands that I'm seeing on these flyers and listening to fucking all of it. And in a really great summer, I just had this like powerful moment where this, all this stuff is just speaking to me. Like I got some fucking insane CD label put out the Bad Brains Roar. Tape on CD, the first album. Yeah. And I remember fucking picking that up, and the, the cover to it was all wrong. It was, just had like <laughs> incorrect information, with photos of them and the thing. And I like lost my fucking mind. And then I got to this was my first show ever. Um, was I was 15, and there was this space called God damn it. What was it? It's right across from the city museum now in that parking lot. It was called like The Other World. Or something weird, it was like one side was a rave club, the other side was a bar. But I got to go to my first show, which was 1995, and it was um Bad Brains. But they were they were like on tour, and I had heard that earlier on this same tour that the Beastie Boys had been opening for them doing only hardcore songs like under a fake name. And oh, so I get to the win. show, right? Right? And so I'm like, this is gonna happen, I'm gonna see the most incredible bands that I'm into right now. And like that record ill communication had just come out. And so whatever. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, I was like this is, tonight It's gonna fucking happen. And I go to the parking lot and I'm terrified. And I have just like long stringy um, Hesher grunge kid hair with a big undercut and big old honky glasses and big pants. <laughs> and I am uh, just fucking like terrified because there's a real people there and i like i find out who the opening band is and they pull up i'm like dude that's definitely the beastie boys the opening band is this band named deftones and i'm like Whoa. i'm like dude def jam records that's definitely the beastie boys they get on it's definitely not the beastie boys it's definitely the band deftones <laughs> uh and I turned out to not really be my thing but then um that's how i got in Damn, it was like this dude, really crazy awesome. Time where the great gift of my parents fucking getting divorced and having all of this free time in middle school and early high school where, like, basically my parents went hands off on me and I just, like, got to free roam the city and kind of figure out things on my own uh, it helped it helped a lot I'm glad I found all that stuff in the way that I did because it was just like it just helped me I think deal with how fucking weird and perilous puberty is anyway but then along with that like being able to get out of my home and go places so that I could be out of my home because it was not fun there
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so um did
0: you grow up uh so you grew up a little bit in Crestwood and a little bit like near Lindbergh area or yeah
1: in Fenton which is the weird far end of the Lindbergh school district
0: okay right on what was uh what was your first interaction with the local scene
1: man it was probably that show and everyone was really nice and Mm -hmm. I was like made sure I stayed up front during the show and I remember that I'd never been in I'd never been in a thing like a Fucking dance floor mm-hmm. or a, a, a pit and like um having people actively look out for me and bolster me yeah was fucking uh i like i remember that as like a, a very real guttural thing of like oh sh- shit this is actually great yeah. um but my first interaction with something like the scene mm-hmm. in its more complex ends other than just like going to a you know you see a, you see a band you see a show listing in the Riverfront Times, and then you just go to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to uh, this place that's over on the hill called the Centro Social, which was this oh, yeah. DIY space that um, this band, this Scottish Oi band called Oi Polloi, was playing. <laughs> and it was a benefit for some local uh, stop primate um, research thing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it was, God, this band from Olympia called Harem Scarum played, who was also fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my first thing. That was my first DIY show. Someone gave me a flyer at a normal, at some other show mm-hmm. that was more like record label punk. And then I was like, oh shit, I actually have seen this band's name before. Cause at age like 16, I started getting strictly into like European anarchist shit. Mm-hmm. And so, uh. This is fucking great. It was like a, a normal DIY space. It's the way I've always seen every, like, actual well-organized DIY space happen. I got there super early, yeah. and they were having a fucking meeting. Like, like <laughs> yeah. they're they're not, like, sweeping the floor. They're sitting and hashing out, like, what are their democratic values in the fucking <laughs> space? And also, who's getting toilet paper this week? Like, all that shit. Yeah, And I, it was just, like, they let me just sit and watch, and I didn't... <laughs> exactly know what I was seeing, but I knew I saw like all of these kids who were way more grown up than I was and way more organized and like fucking meant every word. And then um, it was fucking great. Oh, and then the merch guy sh- showed up with Oipoloi and he just carted into the place racks and racks of records and CDs. At the time, it was like CDs were the fucking thing that would swallow punk at the time. But yeah, I didn't even know what to have. It got me through this important shy thing, which is I think I looked like sufficiently like a wide eyed dork that I like people would offer whenever I was flipping through things, people would be like, yeah, that's really good. And I would immediately buy it. if anyone (laughs) who looked like they weren't trying to fuck with me was like being nice to me around a record or like flipping through a merch table or something. Is that, and this is still a true rule that holds to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ever say like, "Oh, that's the that's, that's the good one." If I don't ask or whatever, yeah. um, I immediately have to buy it because it's always proven like solid. And that happened that day, and that was my like real slip in. I think the people at Gender Social who I don't know anybody's name from that place, mm-hmm. Robin um, Garrels, and she, she ran
0: the joint for a while. She was government cheese, uh, and they did like yeah. plays and stuff. I think. Yeah, they did
1: a bunch of real, real shit. I think that's the first place I ever saw Scarecrow Radio. It was definitely the first place I ever saw conformists. Yeah. Um, And I didn't, like, all I knew was that these fuckers meant business. Mm -hmm. All I knew was that they had, like, their priorities straight, and I had to be somewhere near these people or somewhere near whatever this thing was, but I was super intimidated by <laughs> that scene because they all seemed like I wasn't ready to throw into the deep end quite yet at that point, but it was like, that was my first access Word. and my first way of seeing like, oh shit, these people, you can be really on your game and organized and not, and, and have like this active thriving community that doesn't really depend on anything, seemingly doesn't depend on you know, a larger, more commercial community, I guess, for lack of a better word.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so uh, you're still in high school. Um, when do you start forming your own
1: band? Um,
0: or when a uh, bass? Like, when did you decide you were going to pick up the bass
1: and start, you know, doing
0: that? Because we're still on. I think we. I think that was later stuff. in
1: high. Yeah, I didn't really have a good band in high school. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I had. I was like trying things with friends. And playing guitar, and I got kicked out of a couple bands. And then like I had this sweet friend Tim who went to Limburg with me, who taught me the bass was actually really fun. And he showed me the Minutemen and he showed me the Zero Boys. Mm-hmm. I can probably find it easily now. Uh, this compilation that Best Buy put out, or Rhino Records or something called Hardcore Core Punk Volume Two <laughs> yeah. that I got. And I remember like learning the bass lines from that. And then learning the bass. It was like probably my junior or senior year in high school mm-hmm. that I got some squire jazz bass thing. Hell yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like I ever really got decent at it um, until yeah, that even the Minutemen shit was super intimidating to me. And I just like wanted to do very straight punk. Stuff and I like. Luckily, like Midwestern punk, like Zero Boys was really what I gravitated towards when I was trying to do like hardcore basslines. Mm-hmm. I think that was because it, it's fucking easy, and that's still the joy <laughs> of punk for me is it's fucking so like you can really do beautiful things with very simple maneuvers. Totally. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I. It must have been into high school. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. And um, so was Corbetta Corbato. Was that your first real band then?
1: Yeah, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, We're, Don and I, yeah. I think I met Don at shows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then later, Eric, and then we started practicing at his parents' house out in Fenton, too. He lived on the other side of Fenton. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to Limburg, but he, God, and Eric was, like, fucking a white-hot genius that I didn't understand. And <laughs> I don't know if I ever really have mm-hmm. Um Because he was just into all this shit that I thought was so dumb, like birthday party and flipper (laughs) and like stuff that I was like, I think was just too disturbing for me. (laughs) And I wanted to just have like, right, the fun stuff. Yeah. I think Don got me into No Means No. And we all drove to Kansas City to go see them play. And it was like, like, I think at the time I just wanted to do... Like the cramps meat melt banana as <laughs> as a genre, so, like I didn't know what that was, but I was like, those are the things I like for these kinds of reasons, so that's what I want to do. Yeah, like then I saw them, and then that solidified the thing. like it was I just straight ripped ripped off stuff from them, and I straight um just learned a lot. By trying to do those things, and it like I think also the act of seeing like very old men do like something really furious in front of me <laughs> was like, and I mean like in a you know in a positive not like my dad did but like in a real positive way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was like a real important thing for me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and then we just like went with that. That stuff I think lyrically too like awakened problems in me that i had to confront with music mm-hmm. and it's really like to be honest I, it is hard for me to listen to Corbetta corbata now mm-hmm. because there's some part of me that is really i was just talking to my friend mookie about this i got this friend mookie he's from kansas city he lives here now mm-hmm. and just like a few months ago we were talking about our old bands and I was like, I can't, I don't think I have the courage to listen to Corbeta Corbata. I haven't listened to it probably guys in like 10 years. Word, yeah. Um, I know my wife, Kara, who I'm in a band with now, um, she has a CD of it that she got from Don and she's never, we've never spoken about what's on it. (laughs) Like, Like, I don't, there's, yeah, it's an interesting thing a lot. Cause I think it's like some part of me, is really uncomfortable with what i was saying about myself and also i think the way i sing in the band was really like uh is really i but again i don't know because if i listened to it now it's probably fucking great it's probably fine but i have this really weird anxiety since i've stopped doing corbita kabata and all the rest of my bands that since them have been like a lot more in a fun spirit (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. and uh not so much this like wounded and like very angry thing yeah that i was doing then like i was really trying to confront some shit yeah uh and i it i'm i'm scared of it now like that's how important <laughs> i guess that's how important in my life it is and how like powerful it is is that i'm i'm scared of it now like i don't <laughs> i'm afraid to go near the shit Interesting. Uh, yeah yeah and i i don't like i don't I haven't revisited in a long time, and I think there's something about it that goes beyond. It. Oh, I'm embarrassed because of kid stuff. I don't think it's that. I yeah. think it's. Uh, I don't know what it is, and hopefully, after this, I might try it out. <laughs> but I don't. I don't know.
0: Yeah, um, is it all right with you? I probably should ask this at some point, anyway. Oh, is sure. it All right with you if if we use some uh, stuff from Entertainment Complex? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I love that seven inch. I am. I am afraid to hear it. That's like, honestly, my favorite, (laughs) my favorite thing that we ever did record is that seven inch. Dude, that, that shit. Like we did it all on recording equipment that we bought with unemployment checks, which I hope is happening to everyone right now. Hell yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. I listened to it. after we basically, after I contacted you on Instagram, I was like, oh, I should probably yeah. listen to that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, really took me back. I re- remembered how much uh, of the song, how much of how much of the songs I remembered. Yeah, I think you guys uh, as a band, Corbetta Corbata, spoke to me. I think a little bit sooner and a little bit more completely than uh, I would say the Conformists did. Corbetta Corbata was like the right amount of experimental.
1: That's kind of you to say. I, I mean, I get what you mean. Like, the Conformists are the greatest band that St. Louis has ever produced. but <laughs> like, much, yeah. But you can't... But I mean, like, they're also... They ask you to do a lot. Yes. Like They ask a lot of you to really, like, be present for... Yeah. And that's always been their thing. But it's, like, some of the most incredible fucking songs. Um, yeah. But yeah, I... That's kind of you to say i maybe i'll listen to that record tonight
0: <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna bolster you up so you you know feel ready to thank you to unpack this is that. what
1: i need i need a little pep <laughs> it uh
0: so like the first time i saw you guys was also probably at the centro or it may have been we were sort of talking about this God. with uh mike too uh it might have been the two yeah. ceiling already at that point
1: yeah i yeah i don't know what was up with the name change but yeah. it still had the same fun
0: uh, I think part of it had to do with, uh, like Mike was saying, they used to play in the basement, and yeah. definitely the first show I saw, people were upstairs on that stage. Right. Um, but yeah, like I saw The Conformists for the first time there, and I was young. I was probably fourteen. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. Cool parents. How'd you get it? how they <laughs> let you go? to the, Did you live in the city
0: at the time? <laughs> yeah. So I grew up in uh, Fox Park. I grew up like uh, you cool. know South Side. That's um, great. And uh, the reason why the tin ceiling was like an okay place to go. My sister and her friend were doing like theater productions there, big time, doing sound and lighting and all that stuff, and writing yeah. writing for it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, it was like okay for me to also go there and see shows when I was super young.
1: Dude, that's uh, great. But I did not appreciate the like multifaceted nature of that place at all at the time. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. just like, this is the weird place for weirdos, and I need <laughs> to be kind of around it. Really mostly music stuff, though. Like, I, I didn't have a head for drama at all at the time, but that's great. That's cool.
0: I remember. So when I was, like, just, like just getting into high school, uh, the cool thing to do was, like, the show was happening upstairs, and, like, me and, uh, like, Josh Levi and Ryan Koenig and, like, yeah. yeah, those people would just, like, hang out in the basement, and, you know, you're just trying to, like, be cool while the show's happening. <laughs>
1: No, no. yeah no that's i mean that's right that's how we're all yeah, <laughs> like that's how we all especially <laughs> at that age the, the like early mid fucking all of your teen years you're just trying to like keep your head down around the kids that you really fucking respect right yeah like, yeah totally that's very real
0: totally um yeah and then uh yeah so you guys were probably like really getting going by that point like right around 2000 i would, I would guess
1: yeah i guess so and then don started working at the creepy crawl and Mm. so we could kind of do whatever we wanted and i think that was the real like i think that was the real leverage as to how we could be playing any show we wanted (laughs) it was like don was a bouncer and he uh his job was to fight people for a living half the time and so like um we could get on any show we wanted don's hard work (laughs) was probably the real reason that we had any sort of like above board like local cachet or whatever i think also i think also like i really loved recording and so i would just have people stay over for the weekend and record a lot yeah around that time that must have been it yeah i mean that was like half my life ago but um Mm -hmm. that was really i think i just spent so many nights at the creepy crawl or at just fucking shows constantly yeah Um, Just because I had to absorb it all. Totally. And I had to be around it. It was great. And Mm -hmm. Don and I I were living together in U City. I think there was just like years and years there where we tried to just play a lot. And we didn't really tour that much. Mm -hmm. Um, We just did St. Louis shows a lot, a lot, a lot. We did get to go on one really great (laughs) tour with this band from Philadelphia, Clock Cleaner, that was like really... Good for us, very important for me, I think, in like my life after Corbeta Krabata, because I knew that I could tour and figure things out and that it was wildly easy. Like, <laughs> for me, that, nice. that the idea that like, okay, once you get some footing among like a DIY culture and you uh, let some people sleep on your floor, that's good enough. Like, you're in, and you can pretty much play anywhere in America, then... That was the big thing for me, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I wish we had toured more. We more or less did, like, small Midwest stints with the Conformists a few times. How many dates did you do with Clock Cleaner? Like, how, what kind of a tour was well, that? I think it was maybe 10. Uh-huh. Um, nice. yeah, I think lot. we maybe met, met them halfway from Philly in here. Yeah. Their singer was great and a real fucking big baby. Uh, I mean that in both. Senses of the word, like a very <laughs> a very sweet man and a really like tiny fuse Um <laughs> this is my first time playing on the East Coast my first time seeing the East Coast. I think that's about it Yeah, as far as like really getting away. We never I don't think we ever went west of Kansas City.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever. well one after that you kind of have to go like kind of a ways to get to the next thing That's true. What was your first interaction with STL Punk? <laughs> This has uh, become uh, like more important than uh, yeah. I thought it was going to be, but it's apparently very important.
1: It's very important. <laughs> yeah. I don't fucking know early. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. whenever um, Greg Stinson <laughs> had, like, gravitated to it and he had told me, like, yo, this, is, this thing is cool. It's just flyers and shows. Like, you don't have to rely on the RFT anymore, and we can just circumvent all that. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. And then I got to know, and then Jerome, I think the story is Greg Stinson, oh, Kill Me, yeah. Clay, step oh, yeah. on it. And, uh, uh, oh, the, the God damn it is the humanoids um, mm-hmm. told Jerome, like, I think Greg Stinson invented the idea for profile pages and mm-hmm. shit like this. I like credit him with this. Uh, <laughs> Facebook cannot have this because that dude invented it long before. Uh, presented the whole idea to Jerome, and Jerome was like, cool, I'll code that up over the weekend. And then it became a like a fucking white-hot thing in yeah. the city yeah. where suddenly everyone that was a teenager was on <laughs> it. Yeah. And it uh, like the reputation for predatory behavior fucking like <laughs> quickly got on. It was super fun. The level of teenage like social media bullshit got to be a real thing uh, in the punk community very fast. And uh, for good and ill, I mean, it was great. And then I like did web development in high school. And then I went to college for computer science. I helped out Jerome with working on the site at some point in the early 2000s. Uh, I got to know him pretty well because Jerome's like a fucking old-timer who also ran DIY houses in the city, Mm who started STL Punk. Uh, It was long ago. And it, I mean, for for like people my age, it was really like a a fucking conduit. And people outside of St. Louis knew about it too. And it was just like fucking wild. It was the Wild West. And I know like now it's like, a thing there's, you know, fucking social media problems are well well studied. <laughs> but at the time, like, no one had any idea. And it plugged right into that part of our lizard brains that was, like, puberty attention yeah, uh, and shit-talking. shit, shit talking And it was great. Yeah. It was so great. Do you know about the
0: Mega Rad Youth?
1: Oh, yeah. I was a member.
0: What, what the hell was that thing?
1: What was the Mega Rad Youth? Yeah. The Mega Rad Youth was... A youth crew style crew that was a parody, or at least initially was meant to be a parody yeah. of um, the kind of tough guy youth crew sets that were in St. Louis at the time, particularly TDS. There was a big crew at the time called TDS that went the down set. Uh, and they were fucking assholes and um everyone's probably grown up and fine now and all that shit but they were fucking assholes and they made being in uh round punk and hardcore things in st louis a bad fucking time uh and in my mind that shit is fucking horrendous they're probably very nice guys now as a reaction to that And I think uh, like all of these young kids that were coming to hardcore punk shows thought it was fucking idiotic and like little boys that you got to fight fire with fire. And so Daniel and those guys started the Mega Rad Youth and I was recording them and like being around them. And I thought it was the only solution to making shows um, unbearably fun. But also threateningly fucking annoying for <laughs> what we thought were the wrong people. I sure, also yeah. think I also think now at the time, like so, what we did was just go to shows that any of those like St. Charles bands were playing, like Kill Me Kate yeah. or Friends, anything that was like grindcore fun, mm-hmm. which was a big thing at the time, um, and just fucking be lunatics. I remember that kind of (laughs) kicked off in 2003 or something. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was fucking just great. I remember like making a trash can and painting it up so that I could bring it to shows like a giant vinyl trash can, like, you know, an industrial one, mm-hmm. and put it on and run into people. Yeah. <laughs> because I because I had an experience doing that in Chicago at this big festival called Shy Fest 2 mm-hmm. uh, and seeing this band Gordon Soly motherfuckers do it, and I put on a trash can and just ran, and it was like, the most liberating thing in the world to me at the time. <laughs> uh, in retrospect, was some fucking Nimrod shit uh, that probably made shows and music really alienating to people (laughs) um but it was i i have to say i think it was like uh all grand noble struggles unnecessary casualties because there was a (laughs) real fucking problem going on with like completely macho assholes again i say that as if macho assholes are all of the other people and not us. Um, we probably truly were also macho assholes. I think we brought at least some more self-awareness to it a little bit more. But it was, it's it started as both a, a real show. Like we would show up and fill balloons with whipped cream and baby powder. And just fucking annihilate a show. And the show <laughs> was often what happened. The Midwest Music Pit out in St. Charles or St. Peter's or whatever. Like, Hell yeah problems there um yeah. <laughs> and problems on the internet like uh Dan started the um like just cyberbullying people uh, with <laughs> MRY stuff yeah. Yeah. that was pretty he would just pick people off of this SEO punk site and just mock them and now he's turned that into a fucking career at the riverfront Times like he's turned cyberbullying into his full-time life's calling and he's gotten so poetic with it now uh, it's great I would say the Mry was his first avenue into like really really taking down all the all the fucking dipshits of the world i guess that's nice. one way to put it
0: do you remember the uh very very beautiful uh sublet ymca teen nights oh god yeah
1: yeah that was the first and maybe the only time i played in kill me kate was at a teen night you know
0: that's probably why i thought you were in kill me kate
1: yeah i was for a minute maybe <laughs> okay. i did maybe i did a couple other shows but i didn't like that and that's still a thing that i like i think as a natural aversion was like i work out at that gym sometimes now um <laughs> nice. and it uh I it just like I was the level of um dipshit stuff that happened around Kill me Kate really <laughs> ended up bugging me and I I just like I mean still friends with all of those guys largely but like it's uh fuck it sucked, sucked. <laughs> it sucks being in the middle of I can there's a video of a fight that was at the sublet YMCA while we were playing and I can see myself in the video being like, fuck this. Like I can see the switch flipping in my brain when I just decided like the cornball level of uh, willingness to like take out your beefs on people in public. It just got over the line for me, I guess.
0: Yeah. Was uh, was Steven the other bassist in Killy Kate?
1: Steven was the original
0: bassist? Uh-huh.
1: Um, and then I think maybe he did turns in and out, yeah. um, but I think he got tired of, Steven's much smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he got tired of it before I did, uh-huh. and like that, you know, that was his big weird departure from nineteen. Mm. And uh, yeah, he didn't, he got out before me for sure. Yeah, and then I was then I was in the band, and
2: it was not funny.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey Jim, do you have a story for the first time you saw Corbetta Corbata?
2: I think the first time I saw y'all was, um, and this might be a fabricated memory. I'm not sure, but I feel like I first saw you at the ground floor. In belleville oh, uh, with shit. the conformists oh, nice. possibly for the 10-year anniversary Did belleville <laughs> okay yeah.
1: that's a great yeah. venue wait a minute i remember the ground floor buck okay
2: i don't remember i don't know
1: <laughs> specifically yeah sure yeah
2: i just remember like you all would play with the Conformists a lot when i first started yeah. seeing the Conformists, probably yes yeah. 2005 or six sure uh, and I think I saw y'all at vintage vinyl at one point yeah. around that time.
1: Yes. God, vintage vinyl was, those things are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're cool. They're cool, but they're really unnerving to play. It's just like feels, it feels very awkward. It feels like you're more a museum piece than anything, but. Right.
0: With people yeah. shopping around you and stuff?
1: No, I mean, everybody's being pretty respectful of what's going on, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know it's just uh those things were weird
2: that was like when I was a teenager that was like my coveted yeah. like I want to play vintage Final. and I never <laughs> dude and I, for never, really? I never did but uh oh man I'm i don't know still It's doing. really awkward you know you might
1: still have a chance but like yeah. I don't uh it's just it's just not my preferred thing to do if anyone ever asked me to do it again I would say no thanks but <laughs> yeah. um, but they were all sweethearts there's still sweethearts that work there for sure um <laughs> yeah very formative
2: place in the same yeah way.
0: yeah that's a good uh that's a great venue do you remember the lady who ran who ran the ground floor and she like paid paid the band so she was like super legit and ah that was a great venue when did that place close do you guys know i feel like i was still in doing stuff in the scene when it did close so maybe it was like 08 or something
2: mm-hmm. that's what i was gonna guess
0: it lasted longer than some like the that skate park that did shows in uh Maybe also in Belleville? Also definitely in Illinois. That was dope, but that didn't last very long. Um, I don't think I've been there. And the Inferno? <laughs> did, I, either, did either of you ever play the Inferno? On was Monk? that? Yeah.
1: I have not.
0: Fucking, um, oh my God. Broadway? Was it?
1: I have no idea what we're talking about. Was it, was it a like
0: firehouse? A, it was a taco shop on Broadway downtown St. Louis what yeah it's super weird and uh i mean great because like they gave you tacos really
1: (laughs) why don't i remember this place Um, is on broadway like south broadway
0: that they only did shows there yeah yeah like pretty i mean it was like around the corner
1: from the city museum Oh what the fuck! Yeah, that's cool. I don't. I do not recall the inferno mm-hmm.
0: Did not last long. Maybe two years. Okay. So Ben, we're gonna have to ask you about uh, the Corbata Corbata. Uh, yeah, the Corbata Corbata Conformist Prank War. Since we got Mike's, um, you know, wonderful yarn of the same.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did he tell you? I don't even know if I exactly. I remember the way we ended it, but yeah. I don't remember how it started, other than on tour some real casual like throwing bottle rockets in each other's (laughs) windows and shit like very like innocent (laughs) shit like that right they got pulled over once because we were in wisconsin and they um fucking like like the video game spy hunter opened the door to their van while they're in front of us and then like dumped out quarts of oil in front of us (laughs) to like just like ruin the windshield you know what i mean like you hit the wipers and like it's like, you're fucking, you're gonna die. Um, <laughs> oh, man. And, like, we had to pull off and handle that. I remember they got pulled over by the Highway Patrol for doing that. Like, someone ratted them out. Um, <laughs> and then, like, playing, going on tour, and then, like, putting a... Josh Levi let them into our van or something. Yeah. Like, gave oh, yeah. them the keys. And yes. they put a stink bomb in the van. And the van was, <laughs> like, a fucking rental. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Right. And I was so mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that stuff was good. Did, <laughs> he, did he tell you about how we ended it? Uh, All right, this shit's great. Yeah. Um, Don and I lived across the street from the Lemp Art Center on Lemp Avenue, mm-hmm. um, right right at the corner of, like, Cherokee Park at Utah and Lemp. Mm-hmm. Um, the conformists, I think, are getting back from a long tour and playing their last show of their tour. And so we know they're going to be at the venue. And so... Um, Right. But like we also think it's going to be like a full show and maybe a really busy one. So they'll be um, detained, which it was. Mm -hmm. um, But then we wait for them to start and uh, they do this super fucking stupid, you know, like God damn it, guys, conformist (laughs) thing where they just set up all of their equipment and then sit down in front of it and play a tape recording of themselves. and Just like, all right. (laughs) Yep. And then, uh, like, I love them, and I loved that shit, but I also loved, like, the thing that's so powerful about them is when they are performing in front of you, and it's insane. Um, (laughs) anyway, so earlier in the day, I went down to Sulawed Market, and I picked up about five fish, and I, um, got some lengths of chain, and, um, I, uh, Got into the back of the van, because after touring with them, I realized, oh, these fuckers leave the back doors of their van open all the time. (laughs) I got in, and uh, under the captain's chair in the back, uh, in the glove box, I think under the driver's seat, and then uh, up in front of the radiator in the van, or behind the radiator in the engine, I put dead fish. And I put, like, (laughs) I just wrote, like... uh, Payback, courtesy of Corbita, Corbata, wrapped a fish in that, put that on the dashboard. <laughs> get out of the van, close all the van doors, wrap chain all the way around the van, <laughs> wrap chain, like through all of the door handles up, Like I'm talking like three lengths, like like horizontally around the van, and then vertically like wrapping belts of chain around it, um, locking them all together. And then Don and I get in his pickup truck, and we pull up Caddy Corner across from uh, the Lombard Center, and wait for one of them to come out when they finish. (laughs) And so some people come out to start smoking on the corner and they start giggling about it. I think Chris, the guitarist, comes out and sees it and he doesn't notice us. He goes in and gets the rest of the guys. They come out, I think it went. And I have the keys up in my hands of standing in the street and I'm like, you're going to be looking for this fuckers and I throw them in the sewer (laughs) and then I hop in Dan in Don's van or Don's truck. And then we peel out uh, and they see that their van is now completely chained up. Don and I peel out and go down the street. Then we pull up in an alley so we can get into our house and watch this from the street. they are parked basically (laughs) across the street from our house. Yeah. And we watch as like everyone's leaving and they get bolt cutters. Um, from Mark probably at the Lombard Center and they cut it open and we just see the hilarity of the van door swinging open and people just reacting to a terrible smell Um, (laughs) and they go through and they get apparently all the fish out Uh, they find them all I guess before they left I don't know whatever happened to the one in the radiator or what but that ended the prank war basically it was like a long chain of us fucking with each other they never came back after that one Nice, and I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting.
0: Oh man, you know that's what that's what uh, Sean said ominously. Is like he's still waiting to be got to be got back. Uh, I hope point. so. <laughs> I hope so.
1: I mean, I think Mike knows. Yeah. I'm sure Mike. Mike is aware, and I think you know it's one of these things. I think if they get all three of us at once, which will be a stretch, <laughs> because uh, Don now Ivan lives in um, Olympia, Washington. So
0: yeah, we uh, so Sean told the story of uh, when Yowie trained up five separate um, Mike impersonators uh, and uh, Yowie played an entire Conformist set before the Conformists uh, where, I think this was at the Creepy Crawl uh, and, bef- you know, right before the vocal started on each song of
1: theirs. Oh, my uh, fucking God, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Yeah. Oh, that was so funny. Yeah. And I think I got word ahead of time that it was happening. And it yeah. was so fucking funny.
0: Yeah. A little Sharpie, oh, yeah. Sharpie repent tattoo. You uh-huh. know sh- fake Sharpies on the mics and everything. And they jump up and, you know, do their best impression and jump back down. Yeah. Um, God, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there was also uh, Conformists playing. So this is this is one of the pranks where they neither Sean nor Mike was completely sure of all the details. Uh, but Manja show where like they were playing, um, they were playing a Roberto crobata song, mm-hmm. and um, Sean drops a stick. He's in um, the Conformists at this time. Yeah. And uh, so he's playing. Um, I think it's this is not acceptable with one uh-huh. one handed. Yeah. Um, So they at some point they got the idea maybe later to like oh we should play an entire Corbata Corbata set or maybe an entire song with our hands with one hand literally behind our backs.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Do you remember anything like that actually happening? Yes, I do.
1: Yes, I do. Thank you for thank you for reminding me. Yes, I absolutely remember that happening. Yeah. I mean, look, those fuckers are virtuosos. Like, (laughs) it's an easy. It's a great gag. It's an easy gag because they're all too good. (laughs) <laughs> and they're all, like, such geniuses that it was like, oh, that's fine, yeah, of course you can play our songs one-handed. You're Im- impossibly talented. That shit was great. I for totally forgot about that, but that was, yeah, it was Sweet. a fucking moment.
0: And, uh, I mean, we talked to it with Sean, we're like, you know, it's not really fair because, like, okay, Yowie yeah, can learn all of the conformist songs, like, obviously because um, they their own songs are just, you know, unbelievably complicated. And yeah. then the conformists can learn Crobato Crobat's songs. But if you're gonna go in the other direction, it might No be we can't. Like,
1: I mean we just don't have not. it. We don't have the chops. And I um was staggered my whole life like after doing music for a while, just to be um respected by those guys. Like mm-hmm. just to be able to keep company with them was like oh, it's fucking crazy like hell yeah yeah that's been like if there's one thing that just doing music in my life has ever meant is that like i just get to have really nice casual meaningful conversations with people who are my fucking heroes totally over and over and over i mean that's the real prize of all of it and those guys i don't know what the fuck they drink in illinois or what what they raise children <laughs> on in collinsville but it did something to all of them
0: you want to tell me about a little bit about
1: recording uh, entertainment complex I don't know that I remember that much other than I was recording a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, You ran a studio, right? Yeah. I ran a place called The Compound for years and years, and then I kind of took it with me when I moved to Kansas City and ran it out of this space called The Heavy Anchor there. Yeah, I recorded a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of demos at the time, and I just... Like Don and I lived together and we could just do it. And I think we basically like I took a long time. I still take a long time to mix anything more than I ever should. It's stupid. But I just remember that thing being the first thing that I was like, this will be very serious. Yeah. Like this will be a thing that like we're going to actually be focused on and strapped down. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, that might be the most serious thing (laughs) I've ever taken. In music, I have put out a lot of other records and worked on a lot of things. But like, yeah, that might be the one that I've been most earnest, like earnestly, like guys, we got to fucking knuckle down and be fucking focused or this (laughs) will never be what we want. And it worked again. I haven't listened to it in decades, but willing to bet that I'll put it on and remember mixing frustrations that I got too white hot, (laughs) like focused on.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, that that stuff comes back. I think yeah, you need those triggers to remember some of those things too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Totally.
0: So was that was when you had the compound in St. Louis? with that was that at the Lump Utah house too?
1: Um no. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'd moved it with me it came with me, but we, I only kind of recorded stuff. It became more of a, I had to buy a a, a box. I had to buy like a rack, rolling rack case mm-hmm. and I had to yeah. take it places to record. So I started recording more live stuff after, but Don and I lived at a place on Mardell Avenue in St. Louis Hills mm-hmm. that his grandparents like rented to us. And we had this great basement. We put carpet on the walls and we just like did a, I just learned about how to put a microphone in front of an amp, you know? Like, yeah, yeah that was about the extent of what I learned, but it was like, I just recorded a lot, a lot, a lot for a few years there Yeah. until we got kicked out and then moved to the LEMP space and got a lot more involved there. And I would roll it over there. And on like days when there wasn't shows, I could record people in the LEMP space. Oh yeah. And that was fine. Like I recorded one of my favorite recordings ever was this band The Hell from Carbondale, and I think I did that at the Lamp Space. I think, mm-hmm. um, but That's also, sick. yeah, they were fucking incredible. Um, they're all still sweet boys. Um, <laughs> I uh, and then I would record at the Slaughterhouse too, that was up on Texas Avenue in Cherokee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, and got away with doing stuff there, like a bunch of things. Back when I started, like doing a lot more hardcore music, mm-hmm. uh, was there, yeah, when I did like the Civic Progress Dem record, and um, oh, yeah, 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 totally. And the I was just listening to that. Bill McClellan tape. dude, it's, it's the best thing the city's ever done. It's, it's like, like, I don't, I don't like I... It's like, if I had to pick some St. Louis records, like that's my favorite thing I've ever maybe worked on ever, maybe. Nice, so good. And Scott, the singer of that band, who's Scott Plant, yeah, um, um, he lives up in Chicago now and he's still fucking doing great, he's doing. Bands continually.
0: What was that band he was in where it was him on guitar and it was kind of like his thing, but like, you know, straight edge, hardcore band, like pretty solid. Um,
1: to No End. That's it. God, great. I loved them. To no they were end. great. Right. Yeah, they were all boys from Arnold oh, and they man. were all like ardent communists. Yes. That's the yeah. thing I remember nice. that they were like as hard line as some 16-year-old boys can be.
0: Totally. Man, they were great. I just liked how um, mm-hmm. they weren't blisteringly loud um and i could hear everything that was happening
1: yeah uh yeah i think it was like in that kind of gosh i don't know like clearer like youth crew mm-hmm. style that thing was yeah. happening at the time where yeah. it was like a youth crew revival where people were kind of being like gorilla biscuits and like clearer seven like very posy um get some shit done understand the lyrics like <laughs> well-organized band and Scott is just like, went to school for jazz guitar and shit. He's just a fucking virtuoso. Yeah. And um, God, yeah, his brother Mark now is doing like, really incredible synth work as the mall. And that shit is like, there's something in those boys' genetics or <laughs> or their terrible Arnold upbringing that has turned them in the right direction.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, they're also good, really good, Like,
1: but I remember oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. just
0: like the live experience
1: was sonically
0: very nice
1: yeah for sure it wasn't trying to like pierce your skull do
2: you remember recording a band called the happening
1: yes who the
2: fuck was in the happening hold on <laughs> i Those can see kids, adam mcdaniel Tony, uh-huh. yeah and they were the first band from my high school to play the lampard center Dude, that was yeah my first acknowledgement of a diy scene outside of like you know playing in people's basements in webster Groves. Right. right uh and it, you did the birdwatch and ep and I remember that was just like a yeah. big deal at my high school. We were like, holy shit. That's cool. went to a studio and recorded something. <laughs> it's my basement, but that's cool. Yeah, yeah totally. No, it sounds great. Uh, I still have it. God. Yeah, no, I haven't.
1: That shit's great. I totally fucking forgot about that. What yeah. was it called? The
2: what EP? Birdwatching EP.
1: Okay, I, I gotta dig out an MP3. Yeah. nice yeah
2: yeah they sound a lot like the pixies like a lot of pixies yes. worship there but yeah that was a cool time I just remember them coming cool. back with like a stack of the CDs and like handing them out at lunch and all that it was cool nice yeah man that was
1: Webster High you went to yeah cool dude no yes I do remember recording them they're fucking awesome That's they played play. a lot I feel they like did. they were like they were one of those like very very limp bands <laughs> yeah, I mean totally. like limp was about the thing but like Hmm. Hmm. Corbeta Corbata could do. I think some bands could do the Creepy Crawl and Limp, and some bands were like, the Creepy Crawl is too fucking stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's better time spent at a place that feels more open than that, which Limp did at the time. Yeah. I think. Um.
0: I think the Happening opened for the Texas Chainsaw Mass Choir at Limp. I remember oh, that. Yeah. Did they did. Crazy they show. Did.
2: Yeah. Those guys were just on a different level. I remember, like, I had yeah. weight training class with one of those guys, and we were just <laughs> like. We would pretend to lift weights in the corner and just talk sure. about like Discord records and shit. Yes. And then like <laughs> totally. Um, I heard their demo one time and I was like, "What the fuck is that sound?" And they're like, "Oh, that's Tony. Uh, he's fingering the vacuum, uh, the vacuum cleaner to uh-huh. get that sound. You know, uh-huh. just what you can do with punk music or yeah. whatever." Do you have
0: a Do you have a favorite show that you played? Like a memory of that?
2: There was a Limp Art
1: Center show <laughs> where I dressed up as Mark Mothersbaugh, where we all, I think, dressed up as Devo. And we just did straight a Corveta Corbata set. <laughs> nice. uh, but I remember the show being, like, the first of those real, like, Halloween shows. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah that was yeah. fucking wild. And yeah. I don't like I recall in, I, in my vague memory, like, I don't think we technically played that great. But just seeing um, people lose their shit just seeing people like be viscerally hungry oh and there was a guy that showed up as an abortion there's a guy who showed up with a giant rope tied around (laughs) his stomach as like his umbilical cord and then he covered himself with tomato sauce and then walked into the space and drug this like long rope. I don't know who this genius was, but like (laughs) drug this long rope with tomato sauce through the space and everyone like still losing it and going off but then also avoiding this one genius yeah. like that was a tomato <laughs> tomato man so i mean tomato. like honestly if there was yeah. one thing where that i that felt like the real like golden yeah thing where where like uh eric and beasley and i this solid unit that did not really need much i mean we like communicated with each other on a very visceral level mm-hmm and um just felt completely gelled i remember that as being like the best feeling but so much of it was you know i think feeding off of what the rest of the community brought into the room Mm -hmm. then again i remember the opposite where we would play shows and no one really fucking could move (laughs) and then don and i had this gimmick of talking after the second song second or third song and we would just name we would just describe someone in the back of the room. And um, I think it was part of our shtick cause I was known for making silly faces or whatever. But a big part of this was like, if it felt boring to Don and I, by the second or third song, we would pick somebody in the back of the room and then stare at that person the entire show and play the entire show to them. And it was a weird like thing of like, it was like our way of it, trying to express the like the Ramones technique of like, okay, you always play to the audience, you always put all of the energy forward out of the stage because you have to push out into them yeah. but instead like Don and I were just like, we'll pierce into one person like and try <laughs> try to convince one person in the room that what we're saying is true uh, so it sometimes I really feel that it was like we put, We'd make people leave. Like, I think there was like a psychic pressure because they could tell, I think, at some point that we must have been staring at them. And again, I don't know if it's just like a show technique to get through the anxiety of playing. You know, you kind of look over the head of the last person in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, this was more targeted. And that kind of thing felt good, too. Yeah, it yeah. felt good to push into a crowd like that.
0: Totally. Do you have a a favorite song that you wrote for Curbet Acrobata?
1: There's one called The Last Thing, I think is what it's called. I don't even remember the song names, but I think it's on Entertainment Complex. Basically, that Entertainment Complex is all my favorite stuff, really. Totally. Those are like Um, all hits. Yeah. Like they um, all have something about them.
0: Like, oh yeah, I know that song.
1: Mm. That's cool. That's very (laughs) cool to hear. Mm-hmm. That's very cool to hear. Ones like that, there were like a real pleasure and then I could tell we were all like as like these three boys, like all really just moving together with it. And it, it felt effective and I felt that I could get something important like exercised out of myself Yeah. at the same time. That's probably that whatever that that seven inches, if there's ever a thing that anyone needs to know about the band. I would say that seven inches, the thing.
0: I mean, I I thought it was the only thing you guys ever recorded, but maybe that's just my- No, uh... (laughs) there's a CD
1: before, and then there was a whole session we did after that right before we broke up that never exactly officially got put out. Don baked up a bunch of CDs for people. Yeah, We did a recording at Firebrand Studios that still exists out in West County. A bunch of new stuff, but my, I don't know what was going on with me at the time. Like I was ready to leave St. Louis. Mm. And my heart was not exactly in it. And I was off doing other hardcore punk stuff. Mm -hmm. But my heart even wasn't exactly in that. It just, man, that last stuff, I don't even know exactly where my head was when I wrote it. But we had a whole CD before that that was like, oh my God, I think it was just... a cd of who knows what it's like 12 songs on it yeah yeah um it was good i think we did it we did also like a four song demo that was like fold over cd all of these things might be on discogs now if i looked.
0: <laughs> so what do you think about uh there being this musical renaissance in st louis right around 2000 and lasting till about 2000
1: Five-ish, six-ish. What kind of renaissance are you talking about? Like, Since Maybe numbers more than anything. Like just
0: way more bands than usual or way more really good bands than usual. Oh,
1: I don't... I mean, I think, uh, I think it fucking is so much better now. I believe it's uh, so much more fun now. I think a few important things happened, at least in the DIY punk community, and um, largely um, women stepped the fuck in and got us the fuck out of the way. And in I, you know, yeah. we're not totally out of the way, but I think like uh, women stepped up and said they weren't going to take any shit from us and also st- formed a bunch of really insanely good fucking powerful bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been a huge positive change. I think people are like a lot more open. I don't know if this is true or not, mm-hmm. but in my mind, I mean, it seems like the cross-pollination between music genres is just like very extremely fluid. I think the, I think people are just much more fluid. And for that being like the nature of music now, I don't see a whole lot of fucking Nimrods anymore. Like I think, (laughs) I think it's just a lot more supportive and I can't imagine that that's not a good thing. And I also like, I don't know if it's just that I'm older and I'm not participating in shitheaded behavior quite as much. But, like, I just feel as if there must be less. I don't know if that's true or not. Hmm. I just know that, like, our our time in Corbidical did feel very rich. But it was, you know, it just wasn't. I mean, it was very supportive. But I still think there were tighter circles. Mm -hmm. Like, meaning, like, the insular coolness of the thing was maybe very protectionist in a way that didn't need to be and I think now that's largely cracked open. I don't nice. know if that's really true. Again, I am yeah. 40 years old, but <laughs> in my experience of seeing like like new bands come along, they all seem super fucking cool and very fucking fun and still equally like wildly reckless in a yeah. way that's like caring. Mm-hmm. And so nice. I don't begrudge any of them. I think it's fucking great. It's I think sweet. I think it's better. I think it's largely better I think people who needed to sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up did, yeah. and I think um, people had to, sadly, like fight for a better place uh, in a music, and arts community. And uh, I think it's, I think it's getting better. Yeah. I think it's substantially much richer for that.
2: Nice, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: That was our interview with Ben Smith of Corbeta Corbata. I want to thank Ben and Corbeta Corbata for letting us use their music in this podcast. To listen to their music or to check them out, go to corbetacorbata.bandcamp.com. You have been listening to Grand The Arch Oral Histories of the St. Louis Music Scene, hosted by Caleb True and Jim Fitzpatrick. This episode has been mixed by me, Caleb True. The Grand The Arch logo was designed by Julia Hahn. To check out more episodes, visit anchor.fm slash grindthearch. If you have questions or comments, we can be reached at grindthearch at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.